On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about whether some of the vitriol towards Hamilton City Council and other politicians, quite frankly, is taking it a step too far these days. If things are getting a little too much with threats and with stuff being done, vandalism and things happening to politicians' homes, are we now going somewhere that we don't want to be? We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about the supply chain problems and how they are affecting local businesses here in Hamilton and what is Paul McCartney saying he's not going to do anymore? Stick around to find out. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. My first guest uh, tweeted out on the weekend a photo of his car that had been vandalized, which happens. You listening may have had your car vandalized, may have had it broken into. I have. Many people have in this city. So you say, okay, so big deal. The thing was that this person is a city councillor and just days before this car was vandalized, there was a post put up on social media criticizing him specifically and saying it's time to go and F stuff up, F stuff up, basically destroy stuff. And then all of a sudden his car is damaged and that could be a coincidence. It very well could be a coincidence, but I was speaking to a number of councillors this week, a bunch of them, a majority of them this week. And I was, I personally was shocked to learn that this is far from uncommon. Almost every single counselor that I talked to, and I talked to 11 of them, has said that they have been threatened in their office as part of their job. Not, uh, not just to the point where it's criticism, threatened where in many cases police have had to be called in. And many have had property damaged, which again could be coincidence because, you know, Stuff happens. People's houses get eggs thrown at them. That happens. But when you consider how many homes there are in Hamilton and how few counselors there are and the fact that so many of them have had this happen, it, it would seem that you start adding up coincidences become so often that you start thinking this probably is no longer a fluke. Uh, Jason Farr, Ward 2 Counselor Jason Farr joins us now. Counselor, thanks for doing this today. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for writing the story. Well, look, I I was surprised by this, and maybe I shouldn't have been. And here's the thing: I, it's my it's my belief that it's very healthy in a democracy to be debating and arguing, and and sometimes to be angry with a politician, and sometimes to be really angry with a politician, and sometimes to think that you people are idiots. Mm -hmm. But there is a line that I don't think that should be crossed, and yet I was surprised to find out how often it seems to be getting crossed. Should I have been surprised? Uh, no, I, I, I know initially you were just calling me to say, hey, Jay, how are you doing? What exactly happened? And then I think two days later you said, Jay, you've opened up Pandora's box doing your reporting thing that you do. You've you found that uh, certainly like no other era, I think I can safely say in Hamilton local politics, there's something going on here that definitely crosses the line. Like, again, it's not that your car was vandalized, nothing personal, but m probably half or more people, I don't know how many people who are listening have had their car vandalized. And so on that front, it could be a coincidence. It, unquestionably, this may have had nothing to do with that social media post. But again, all the counselors that I talked to, so many of them have had something done. And statistically, it seems rather unlikely that with so few of you and so many people in Hamilton, that it would all just be happening by coincidence. That's what I think anyway. Yeah, in my in my case, it, it was it was vandalism in, in addition to a break in, and and as you pointed out in the story, it happens. I'm an inner city guy. It happens on our street all the time. It happens on a lot of streets 
all the time. It happens repeatedly in many of the Ward 2 neighbourhoods and to greater extents. As a matter of fact, underground parking in the Durand is an example in other areas. Um, so, you know, it wasn't so much about that. It was the odd timing of uh, a, 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 an online campaign that goes way across the line in terms of, um, you know, community debate and promotes getting out there and F and S up. And, um, you know, it, the, the timing was peculiar. That's all I said. The investigations continue on that. But, yeah, it's not an exclusive event for me with respect to what happened specifically and how it happens all too often, far too common lately, especially for residents and business folks, but for my fellow colleagues as well. I think, um, you know, I, I, I received a, a number of calls and emails from them, and, you know, they've shared those stories with me as well. And, and some of what you wrote today, I think, was not only a surprise to your readers, but even to some of us on council, because uh, some of them have kept quiet about it because it, and so it's opened up a dialogue amongst us elected officials as well because you know I think we need to talk about it as as hard as it is because we keep thinking of course first and foremost about the people at our homes where this stuff is happening our our loved ones right I mean that that's a huge factor that's sleeping with one eye open and and that's a way nobody wants to live. You're in your third term now, right? Yes. Has it always been this way? I mean, when you started out nine years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it is now, 10 years ago, I guess, uh, it it has not always been this way? I thought it was going to be because in my first couple of weeks after winning, I did receive a death threat. Uh, The police did need to get involved, but uh, since nothing until now, if it is indeed related. Like I say, on my street, it doesn't, we get broken into all the time. My wife and I were broken into two weeks ago, but it's never... You know, the the vandalism, the broken windows, the mess of the car, that sort of thing. This one was a, a little unique to what we're experiencing here. Uh, so, so no, I mean, there was this big lull for me personally, but obviously from, from reading your story and the investigation you've done, you know, for this past term of council specifically, there's a number. In fact, there's, there's one that I thought of that you didn't include. I'm not going to share it, but I'll let that councillor share it if he so chooses. But uh, there's others, <laughs> other examples in addition to the 11, I think, or so that you pointed out. Well, yeah, and and there are other counselors we didn't talk to, and so that could have mm-hmm. certainly uh, been in that group. Let me just go to one thing for a second, because there are a number of people today who have mm-hmm. been on social media about the piece that I wrote and about this story, and their position is, uh, look, people are really angry, and why should you? Why should they not be able to take their work, do something about it? Now, nobody has that I've seen anyway said we should be able to go and vandalize or destroy houses but people there are angry people what if they're if people are infuriated with you with council what are they supposed to do to take out their frustrations or to deal with this kind of stuff practice in a democratic capacity debate all you want you set it off the top it's never been a problem for me to hear and read about and uh, be part of engaging with people who are my polar opposite on an issue or issues or personality, Scott. It doesn't bother me. I, I, I appreciate your punditry and analysis on your programs and in the paper as much as any individual out there, whether you're media or a resident uh, with a political view. Uh, you shout it from the rooftops. That's perfectly fine. But you don't cross a line like 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 is being crossed what 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 appears to be being crossed on a more regular basis number one number two 
in participating in the democratic process, go ahead and get yourself a candidate and get involved in the democratic process or become a candidate yourself. And, and that's how you make change. We move motions as counselors and, and those motions a lot of the times become laws and they're either appreciated or not appreciated, but they can always be amended if you feel strongly enough and you want to get enough people together. Certainly when you listen to the uproar, particularly on the Twitter, but the social media, you would think thousands and thousands and thousands of people would get behind your candidate and you wouldn't have to worry about me anymore uh, or anybody else that you've got a problem with politically. That's the advantage of living in a democracy. You're stepping over the line when you make it violent, when you when you use vitriol that crosses a line, and, and worst of all, in the case that I referred to that I hope is not connected to my recent episode, which is nothing compared to what a lot of people are going through, you're crossing a line when you're getting others to, to get behind a campaign that in this case is all about effing S-H-I-T up. And, and that, that's, that's very, very concerning. I don't think it's exclusive to Hamilton. Certainly, uh, uh, Niagara's, uh, sorry, was it St. Catherine's mayor's had some issues. Uh, it, it can get very violent to the uh, point in the UK the other week there yeah. uh, of an MP at a community meeting actually getting murdered. It's scary. Uh, it, it probably has a lot to do with social media. But when you live in a democracy, there are more peaceful ways to protest. You can get loud. You can get aggressive. That's fine. That's part of what we signed up for as local politicians. But when you cross the line and you incite uh, a violent insurrection of uh, anarchy, <laughs> it, it's, it's got to stop. It's got to be called out, too. So I'm not, not fearful of that. But that said, it does hit home when it is your home. Yeah, but you're not the first person a, a, to, to mention what happened in Britain a couple of weeks ago. And, mm. you know, there will be those who will say, look, there's a long way between smashing a car window or egging someone's house and stabbing someone to death. And I, and I suppose there is a long way until there is one person who is unhinged and gets overheated and decides that there's not a long way between those things. And I, I like, I'm not saying that every person who has texted or tweeted or posted on social media is likely to do that. But as I wrote, uh, and I really believe this, I, I'm sure they didn't think that was possible in England until it happened. Mm -hmm. Very good point. And I read that it's an excellent point. And, and that's the reality. I mean, on social, we don't know who's, who's talking to who, who's listening to who, who wants to get the attention of who, and is willing to do something that is uh, irrational, that is criminal, just to, to be part of that, that um, you know, campaign, that, 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 to, to go F stuff up with relation to, to you know, uh, local politicians, local police, also mentioned in this campaign, it's 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 concerning. At the very least, it's concerning, Scott. So what do you do, Jason? I mean, and look, and, and I believe, and I truly do believe this, I believe the vast, overwhelming majority of people listening and in this city might, as I said off the top, and I'm not taking a shot at you more than anyone else, but might think you're a complete idiot or might think any other councillor's sure. an idiot or the mayor's an idiot. That's fine. I don't think many of them would go to a house or do something like this. No. But what do you do? What, what is the answer if there are going to be some cases that are now concerning enough that counselors are thinking this is connected? What's the step? Do you have to get security? Do you, or do you just carry on and say, no, it's just a few? Well, I'll tell you this. It's, it's, it's a vague answer I can offer now. It's a more fulsome answer maybe a few weeks or a few months from now. This conversation 
your your attention to this specifically over the course of the last five days, Scott, has got us talking, as I said on your show here earlier. Um, it has our staff talking, our directors of HR, our city manager. Um, we, we, we now have a responsibility. Something is out there right now that is so anti-council, it crosses a line and could potentially create some very dangerous scenarios for elected officials in this town and their loved ones. And so th- there is a need for, for, for this to be addressed both politically and uh, with our staff. What that is, is it security? Is it, uh, um, you know, policy? Um, it, I don't know yet, but it'll be something because it's certainly in the works. Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. I really appreciated this one tonight, Scott. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You have been hearing, I am sure, if you've paid any attention at all to something that you may never have considered before or thought of before or even heard of until the last month or two, supply chain. The supply chain issues all over the place. But how much are they affecting us here? We're hearing about it in you know, certain things, toys and everything else. That's a big one, toys for some reason and appliances, but how much on day-to-day operations in other things, even in Hamilton, is it affecting us? I want to bring in a guy who, um, you know him because he runs a number of businesses. Most famously, he is the guy behind Fox 40 Whistles, a world brand that is, well, stuff is coming in and going out all over the world. His name is Ron Foxcroft. Sir, how are you tonight? I'm doing terrific, Scott, and yes, that's right. We manufacture proudly in Hamilton, but service 140 countries around the world. And everywhere we go, we're so proud to say we're Canadian, and we manufacture and distribute from Hamilton. And of course, you know, regarding the supply chain, I I am not an alarmist. Uh, I'm I'm a realist, and we are actually living it. And I I often say to people, if you want to know something about a truck, don't ask me. Ask the driver or the mechanic that works on the truck. And this goes with supply chain. Uh, We're in trucking, logistics, warehousing. But we're also on the other side. We're in manufacturing. And, you know, we we rely on a steady stream of of products uh, through the supply chain to come in so that we can manufacture our products and ship out to 140 countries. So we're living it. Has it, so you've been affected by this. Has it like, have you had to slow production or just hanging on right now that it's coming in enough, but barely? Uh, We've had to slow a building of inventory because, you know, um, we, we like to be able to, the most important thing, obviously, to everybody is serving your customer, serving your customer on time. uh, uh, Policy is uh, service, price, uh, uh, most important on-time delivery. You know, if it's on time, it's a fluke. And right now, um, basically, a lot of manufacturing and building of inventory stopped in March 2020 and into April 2020. So there's been more strain put on supply chain because very simply, um, we weren't, as, as a world, building inventory to meet the needs. Now, Um, we're having problems because uh, in addition, and we don't talk about this, there's a shortage of warehouse space so that we can warehouse inventory. And I mean, everybody warehouse inventory, because 
in in the case of fluke transport we have dedicated a large number of square feet to warehousing products that we never really warehouse before and that's ppe products to serve the needs of a pandemic so you you store these products and now there's a shortage of room for things like essentials groceries things you see in a big box store well, and, and, and I'm not a businessman and I don't have a business degree. And, I, you know, w- what I know about economics, I've frankly learned doing this show over the years. <laughs> and so, but one of the things that I have been learning is that I didn't realize how, um, how, how each level of the supply chain, basically, even in good times was just like, it, there was not a lot of storage. Things were moving and you would just get enough supply to build what you were building and then send it out and the next bit would come in and you throw any kind of hiccup into that and things can go totally awry. I didn't realize how how, how rely, reliant everything was on everything moving exactly properly along the way. Yes, and Scott, I'm going to really surprise your listeners. Um, when when you receive products now, like I mean, going into October and in, in November, and we've just experienced this, people are adding a distribution surcharge on your receipt of goods. We're experiencing it in Fox 40, and what that is, Scott, a lot of the cost in supply chain is distribution transportation and you know where transportation has gone number one just go outside look at the price of fuel at the fuel tank look Uh at the price of putting gas in your car well multiply that times 10 times and and now put fuel into one of these great big huge trucks and realize the uh, additional cost the other thing scott that puts the distribution costs up considerably and and uh, serves this distribution surcharge. There's a terrible shortage, terrible shortage of truck drivers in all of Canada. There's eight, uh, 18,000 shortage of truck drivers in Canada. Now, there are some trucking companies, and I, I have this information direct from the horse's mouth, that have had to park 30% of their fleet uh, because they can't put drivers in the trucks. Well, Scott, you know, you can't have trucks parked because you can't put drivers in the trucks. You need the trucks on the road turning a revenue. So there's a multitude of of problems. And the other thing, you know, the governments, uh, provincial and federal, they've really done a heck of a job during this pandemic because, as you know, there's not a playbook for managing a country during a pandemic. Uh, there's not a manual. And, you know, they've had a very difficult time. And now they have to continue to deal with the problems of the pandemic. But also, we need the government on board helping us dealing with the supply chain problems because I don't want to be an alarmist to your listeners but you can probably expect your groceries and anything that's a necessity in 2022 to go up maybe 20 to 30% in cost. And that's significant because the cost goes up faster than the revenue that you're producing. No kidding. And I'm glad you're not being an alarmist. I'd hate to see what you were going to say if you were being alarmist. <laughs> yes, yes. But no, you know, so. we, we need, and and this kind of runs a parallel to the interview you did with uh, 
Councillor Farr. You know, uh, one thing that's really bothering me, and I have to say this, I, I want our government dealing with the pandemic, helping people be safe, helping people be healthy. I also want our government at the Ontario level, like at the provincial level and the federal level, being aware and and spending valuable time on a strategic direction to help us solve this supply chain challenge that we're living with. One thing I am really, really sad about in in provincial government and um, federal government, and I'm a supporter of the government. I believe in these subsidies. They've kept companies from going underwater. They've kept people from going underwater. But the money and the time they're spending on these darn attack ads, ads, these uh, party uh, partisan politics and attack ads, they they absolutely disgust me. All that the money and management time they're putting into the attack ads should be put into helping us get through the pandemic and helping us get through the challenges of the supply chain management. Stop these attack ads. Partisan politics is hurting Canada. And, you know, whatever happens, Scott, to conversation, collaboration, working together, we don't always have to agree on any, uh, on everything. And, and I'm a referee, so I really appreciate 50%. Oh, yes. Here's, you're someone who, who knows what it's like to be yelled at and, uh, and yeah. abused and all the rest. Uh, Ron, we, unfortunately, we are way out of time. But I, listen, your point is well made is that, you know, th- this seems like an issue that is so important. We should be concentrating on it to get things back rather than being distracted by a lot of other things. Uh, Ron Foxcroft, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for taking time today. Thank you. My pleasure, Scott. Always. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Want to bring in Eric Alper. He is a good friend of ours who is a great music writer. He's a promoter. He's a guy who's been in the business for, well, I don't want to say forever. He's not an old man, but he's he's been in the business long enough to 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 know what he's doing in that in that industry. Eric, how are you today? Is hey. Eric there? I am here. Hi, Scott. There he how is. I'm excellent. You know more about the music business. No, I'm... Um, so, Eric. I know more about the music business than I know how to work my phone. I was going to say is... that, but then I thought that would be insulting, so I'll let you say it instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why start now? Right. There you go. So, Eric, I came across this, this uh, website today, and I found it really interesting because it, it basically lists all the groups that are going to be, now that we can get back, now that they can get back on tour and concerts can resume and artists can get back on the road, it lists the groups that are going to be out there doing their thing over the next little while. And it's going to take a second, but let me read to you the top 25 groups that they are listing that are out on the road and tell me what is the common denominator with many of them. They've all been divorced more than five times. Well, there's that. Yes, there's okay. that. The, the, the Liz Taylors are not a group yet, but they, they may get there eventually. Eagles, Coldplay, Metallica, Elton John, Justin Bieber, Aerosmith, Bruno Mars, Maroon 5, Journey, Katy Perry, Foo Fighters, Guns N' Roses, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Kiss, Lady Gaga, Rod Stewart, Def Leppard, Iron Maiden, Ramstein, uh, Adele. That's number 25 right there to Adele. Then Billy Joel would come next. Anything strike you as... Anything about the list that I just gave you? Yeah, it seems like 21 of the 25 are 50 years of age or older. 
see that's what i thought i was like this is this sounds like a concert lineup from 20 years ago or maybe (laughs) 30 years ago yeah yeah it it sounds like uh it sounds like much more retro um coming to life yeah this is um this is what happens when you're an artist and you don't even think about the lack of money that you might not have been able to make in the last 18 months 24 months um while you can't tour um but real life sets in and you know it's always like well how much is too much how much does elton john really need well you know if there's money on the table all of those artists are going to take it and with the extreme backlog of concert tours that were all set all confirmed and many of them tickets were on sale already um this is going to be probably the busiest 18 months that the music industry has ever seen when it comes to concerts because they're all going to go out on the road not just for financial reasons but they miss it oh my gosh can you imagine Def Leppard's wives for the last 18 months going, <laughs> is it time for you to get out of the house already? Well, I think all their wives are probably about 30 years younger, but it's, um, <laughs> I don't know how it all works. I mean, you said about the money though. You did mention about the money. And look, I was, I was frankly stunned several weeks ago when I saw the first one of the Uber Eats commercials with Elton John. And for, you know, not that Elton John maybe doesn't want to do a commercial, but like he's been around forever playing concerts, having albums. He's got to have royalties coming in for everything. I was like, does he, does Elton John need the money so much that he's going to ride a little rocking horse in a commercial? Like I, I was stunned. No, Elton John wants the legacy. And this is how you end up with say the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, actually Led Zeppelin this week, um, landing on TikTok where um, Led Zeppelin has licensed over a hundred songs for TikTok users to use in their video because this is the next way to get the next generation of music lovers interested in Elton John. And if it takes Lil Nas X to do that, to introduce him for all of his fans to go, who's that old British guy in this commercial? Elton John, he's got 47 top 40 hits. Let's go spin him up on Spotify or wherever it is or YouTube and see. And this is, you know, with Elton specifically, Elton had a brand new album out called The Lockdown Sessions. That is, I think it's like 12 songs, eight of them are duets with people from Lil Nas X to Stevie Nicks. Um, It's battling for the number one position right now on the UK and Billboard album charts. That would put another feather in Elton John's cap when it comes to, historically, one of the greatest albums of all time. And when you're that big and and that popular, you don't want to give it off to somebody else. You're like, yeah, no, yeah. if I've got this opportunity to reach people who had never heard of me before, they're absolutely always going to do it. Yeah, he. Th- I mean, this this website and it shows how many concerts each of these groups has and everything else he's got 107 concerts already yeah. lined up i mean it's and and the other thing that i really noticed about this list that i read you and there's a lot more of when you go past the top 25 and yet you know when you go past them rolling stones eric clapton sting pearl jam uh andrea bocelli uh, you know scorpions snoop dogg chicago i mean like it goes on and on and on very few of the ones that i listed have a new album out very few of the ones i listed have had an album out in ages 
Yeah. And I wondered about that as well, that again, with no money coming in, I'm assuming many of them have a certain lifestyle. They've grown used to a certain lifestyle and, you know, maybe 10 or 12 concerts a year can sustain that lifestyle. But if you have none, you got to get back out there. Yeah, I, definitely, because they see their royalty rates go down to almost zero um, with just, you know, the, the low amount of money that that music streaming services and YouTube actually pays these artists. And again, I can see people listening or, you know, rolling their eyes going, yeah, just Paul McCartney need that. Well, no, but, you know, when I, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that the, those artists um, maybe five or seven years ago were the mid 40 to mid 50 year old range where you still had the stones and the who and a whole bunch of other very, very 1960s artists. Now you're hitting into the seventies and eighties where this is nostalgia. Like it's not that it wasn't yesterday, you know, Blondie going out on tour was 40 years since her first album. So, you know, she's in her sixties. So when you have artists like Chicago or, um, you know, Black Sabbath is talking about going out again, um, partly because they their audience is the only ones that can afford really $250 to $300 tickets. See, that, Eric, I was going to just ask you about yeah. that. I was going to ask you about that because I'm not sure. Like, I... If you're now the, if you're now the, well, not the Stones so much. Let's not say the Stones, but if you're uh, Jimmy Buffett is going to be out on the road or whatever, and, yeah. and I presume he's going to get an older crowd, mm-hmm. maybe with a lot of people who might be retired. Are they the people who are going to spend two hundred and fifty bucks on a concert? They don't. Absolutely. That doesn't seem to really. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's also that new generation of people. You know, when you're James Taylor. Um, who's going out with Jackson Brown, for instance, across Canada in 2022, um, you've got a mixture of teenagers and young audiences who are okay with paying that money because they know that these two guys are legendary. And then you have the older crowd, which tends to have a lot more disposable income. They haven't gone out in 18 months. um, And this is their night out. They're going to go see two concerts a year, maybe one. And so they want to make sure that it's going to be somebody who will play 19 of the 25 songs are going to be absolute yeah. drop dead classic songs. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, to your point as well, and, and Ben just whispered in my ear from the studio and it's a great point. He goes, and a lot of people, you want to make sure you see this person while you can look at when, when Paul McCartney yeah. came to Hamilton four or five years ago, the tickets were not cheap, but I said, I don't care. I'm going to yeah. see Paul McCartney. And so, you know, there could be something to that too, is, is that you're just, you know, as long as I can see this person, all right, it's going to cost me a little bit, but, uh, Hey, speaking of Paul McCartney, let me pivot here for a sec, because I wanted yeah. to ask you about Paul McCartney as well. This is a, this is an interesting story. Paul McCartney has said now, whether he follows through or not, I don't know, but he said that he is no longer going to sign autographs for people <laughs> because he thinks it's a weird thing to do. And he goes, and I'm probably not even going to take selfies because they all just end up being weird photos. I want to do, and he's not saying that I'm going to ignore people. He goes, I would rather have a moment to have a chat with someone rather than do those other things. Is he on to something or is he overthinking this? Because really it may be a weird thing to do, but that's really what the fans want. I hope when I see Paul McCartney four feet in front of me, he better sign my Abbey Road album. I mean, <laughs> like, 
you know, that conversation is very, very nice. Um, but uh, no, I want that pen to paper. Um, there's a lot of artists who think that autographs are weird. There's a lot of artists who are like, so I signed this and suddenly it's worth more. And Paul was right. He was like, look, we both know who I am. I don't need to sign a squiggly piece of paper um, in order to prove that. Um, Ring, Ringo Starr did this a number of years ago. He he made a very public video that said, you know, if you send me anything past a certain date, it will be thrown in the trash. I'm not signing it anymore. He was frustrated at the sheer amount of autographs that were landed on eBay and then the fake autographs that people were forging his signature in order to make that kind of money. I think for Paul McCartney, I think he's kind of done just signing stuff um, and things shoved in his face, just, mm. you know, bits and pieces of paper on that. So I, I, I think he is onto something, but I think he's only into something because he knows that, that if he stops signing, maybe people will just bother, you know, won't bother him so much when he's eating dinner. I see. I've always had the theory, and I'd love to hear your theory on this. I've always had the theory of the the idea of an autograph to me is absolutely meaningless and useless if you were to buy <laughs> it off eBay or something. No, no. If you were to buy an yeah. autograph, to me, the idea of an autograph is that proof that you had a moment with that celebrity, that there was a connection. And I know how the the, the memorabilia world has gone and the money and everything else. To me, I would never pay to buy an autograph that was someone was selling to me because the whole idea is that either the selfie or the autograph shows you connected briefly with that person. And I see, I think that those things still really matter. I, I think they do too. Um, but I think when you're a super fan and you know that you can have your favorite artist autograph on your favorite vinyl record or CD or drum head or guitar and display it, it it doesn't matter. It almost like it doesn't like the gloss is off a little bit when it's like, hey, how'd you get that? Oh, I bought it off of eBay. It's like, oh, cool. You've just essentially proven that you have enough money to buy that, you know, and that you didn't. You don't have a story to go along with it. And I think the the bragging rights or the one-upmanship of yeah, I saw Paul McCartney backstage because I got tickets through this, and or I saw him at a restaurant. We had a lovely conversation. I think it, it's always. It tends to be a guy thing, I think, you know, well, often footballs or baseball helmets and things like yeah. that. I mean, look, there's, there's a guy here in town that I wrote about um, months ago. Oh, yeah. I read that article. He, I did. I was in Hamilton that weekend and I saw it. It was massive. Yeah. And, and he has this collection of autographs from yeah. people who are sort of accidental famous people they stumble their forest gump they stumbled into a moment in history like the secret service guy who jumped on the back of the limo when jfk was shot to yeah. keep jackie kennedy and stuff see but to me that's that's not even what i'm talking about because he wrote letters and corresponded with these people so again that's almost to me like having your moment with that person i'm just talking about the and so if if someone were to send paul mccartney or ringo Starr a handwritten letter and they got an autograph back i would think that's cool too it's just the idea of turning it into a purely business transaction that I find meaningless, meaningless. But I yeah. do think that if I bump into Paul McCartney and he is one of the, you know, one of the very few people that I would be sort of slack jawed. Cause I mean, just, uh, you know, everything, He's one of the very few people that might make me a little speechless for a moment. Um, if I did, I, I would want, if not an autograph, I would at least want a selfie, something for that moment. See, a selfie to me is exactly what you mean about autographs. 
It just means that of all the places in the world, you just happen to be beside greatness. But it doesn't mean that you're great, Scott. It just no. means that you just stood beside something. So it's funny, you know, when I, 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 there was one night years ago where I hung out at South by Southwest in Austin and I got to hang out a little bit with Matthew McConaughey. All I've right. been riding all right, all right, all right. because the caption is, here's one of the most, you know, world's most beautiful men, a superb actor, multimillionaire, and Matthew McConaughey. You know, so I can make it kind of funny, and that's the joke. But I find selfies, nobody ever looks good in a selfie. But that's not the point. I could look, <laughs> I could look, or he could look. Now, first of all, they generally don't look terrible because that's why they're celebrities is because they figured out how to take a good picture. But yeah, it doesn't matter if my eyes are crossed and my if I'm in the mid- <laughs> middle of a sneeze, right? It's the fact, because again, in that selfie, you're looking at you or me for a split second, but you're looking at the other person. It's about the fact that you had that moment with another person. And you know what? I hope, I I hope that if he's not going to sign autographs and for all the reasons you expressed, and I I get it. And for all we know, there's something else that he may not even be saying. And that is, you know, he is what 82 now something. I mean, maybe there's some arthritis or something. Maybe you're signing all the time. Yeah. Hurts his hand. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. So I'll, I'll but tell I you certain... what I think it could be, though. Younger generations have no interest in the autograph. What they want is they want the selfie. But when Billie Eilish decides to release autographed vinyl, like 10,000 copies, it goes within 24 hours. Mm. And so that tells me something different than waiting outside a hotel room or a hotel waiting for an autograph to happen. It, it's that prestige factor again, and that I am one of the only ones in the world that has this and yeah. booyah, yeah. you know, I, I hope that he would at least continue to do the selfies with people. Cause I, I don't think that uh, as long as people are behaving like normal civilized human beings and being polite and not being idiots, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that costs nothing to a celebrity and it takes a half a second of their time. And I can tell you, I, I think, especially when you're talking about kids and I don't, th- I, I truly don't believe that if a, seven-year-old giant Beatles fan came up to Paul McCartney that he would say, bug off, kid. I'm not taking your picture. You know, uh, I don't think that no, would No, but he but... probably thinks that that seven-year-old kid is there as a... as a Could be. Um, a, yeah, he's there as a mark in order to, like, get that autograph to, like, give it to some guy who's willing to pay for it. I would love nothing more than to hang out in a hotel outside in Buffalo for eight hours with you waiting for Paul McCartney to come out through those doors just to see what he would say. Well, we got to go, but I'll tell you a story, a personal story about this one. So when Paul McCartney came to Hamilton in 2000 and whatever it was, 17, 18, when he played here, uh, because he does Mull of Kintyre at a lot of his shows, he had the Argyles, the pipes and drums from Hamilton who were on the stage at the end mm. for the encore. My, br- my two brothers-in-law are the drum major and pipe major for the Argyles. So during rehearsal... They told me later they were backstage discussing how it was going and Paul McCartney walked up and struck up a conversation with them and was trying the bagpipes and holding the mace and all the rest. And all I could say to them was, you guys were rehearsing with Paul McCartney. I am your brother-in-law and you did not call me to invite (laughs) me down there. We've got a problem. Uh, Anyway, they had a great old time and I, of course, didn't even know. You should have just faked it. You should have just, you know, put on that kilt and go. I did not even know they were participating in this concert until they were marching onto the stage and my jaw dropped and I went, that's them. 
Anyway, they didn't invite me, so they've never gotten a Christmas gift since. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. Two more spaces open for Christmas dinner over <laughs> at your house. <laughs> ah, I still love them, but we do have a problem on this issue. Eric Alper, always love having you on. Thanks for taking the time tonight. Thanks for having me, Scott. We'll talk soon. That is, uh, yes, that's a true story. And uh, we did have a conversation. And I do love them, but man, how could you not let me know about that one? The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.